All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Joshua chapter 3. Um, if you don't, the scripture that we're looking at is on page, what is that, is that page 7? It's in the back cover, the inside back cover of your bulletin. We're going to be looking at selections from Joshua chapters 3 and 4. Um, selections because it's a long narrative, and um, I want to make sure that we can focus our attention on the places where we need to focus. Um, and as we read this, I think what may come into focus for you is why you're sitting with a rock and a sharpie, uh, either in your hand or in your lap. And so, um, <clears throat> so let's read this and then we'll dive in. Friends, listen, this is God's word. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap, and those flowing down toward the salt sea were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know 
that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is God's word. So next Sunday, we're bringing our two sites together, downtown and uptown, to form a new church. And bringing our two sites together, this is a big deal. And in a transition like this, we need to remember that God is with us. It's really important for us to remember that God is with us. And we saw last week, remember we saw that God is for us, that he's on our side. Well, today, we're going to see that God helps us to prepare for the future by remembering the past. Okay, that's what he does here. He, he helps us prepare for the future by remembering the past. Israel is moving from the desert into the promised land. And that promised land was great. It was amazing. It had all the blessings of God. It was a picture. It was like a foretaste of heaven. And yet there were also dangers in it and a mission that they were given to stay faithful to God and to live for his glory. Well, our path forward in becoming a new church is the same way. Coming together, there are incredible blessings for us. It's exciting, but there's also dangers. There are dangers. Anytime more people come in, there are potentials for conflict. Anytime things change, it's possible to get bitter. It's possible to get frustrated, to complain, right? We also have a mission. That mission is to reach the city for Jesus. And so we too are in a place like Israel was. And so God is going to help us to prepare for our future by remembering the past, and so first, we're going to look at what the text says, and then we're going to talk about how it mean, what it means for us. And so the first thing that we see in verse 9, and if you want to write something down, there's not a lot of room below there, but you can write on the front of your bulletin, and you can find a blank space. Um, verse 9 tells us that God has something to say. Okay, God has something to say to us. Because um, that's what Joshua says. He says, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. So God is going to explain what's about to happen so that the people of Israel will know that it wasn't a freak accident. They'll know that God predicted it and that it happened. And so God announces his work so that we can see it and understand it. And then second, um, this is all something you can write down. God wants to prove that he is with you. Okay, in your life, God wants to prove that he is with you. This is what he says in verses 10 to 14. Right? This, this isn't just some raw act of power. Okay? God doesn't do that. All of God's miracles, even the most phenomenal, they're not just acts, random acts of power. All of God's miracles are designed to help us know that he is with us. Okay? That's why God does things. It's so that you can know what he's like and that you can know that he's on your side if you're trusting in Jesus. That's what he says, verse 10. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. God wants you to know that he is with you. And so these miracles, they're about God teaching us, trying to convince us that he's with us. Now often miracles also have symbolic meaning, and this one does. We'll look at that um, as we go along. Um, God wants to teach us more about what his plans are for the world. And so this parting of the waters of the Jordan River, it was proof that God was with Israel, that God was for Israel. It was proof that God's plans were to bless Israel. And this is so important. This is so important because this generation of Israelites had spent their entire lives where? In the desert. 
Right? They'd spent time, they'd spent 40 years in the desert being punished because they didn't trust God, being punished because they didn't believe God, being punished because they disobeyed God in this radical way that was like, it was like spiritual adultery that they committed. And so they died in the wilderness. And so God, because he loves his people, God wants to convince them that he loves them just as much as the nation that he brought out of Egypt. And so he brings Israel out of Egypt in this amazing act of power where the waters of the Red Sea were parted and they passed through. And God duplicates that miracle for this generation so that they would know that all of God's promises are true for them. Okay, God wants them to have no doubt in their minds that he is with them. Now, God wants the same thing for us, too. God wants the same thing. God wants to prove to you that he is with you. And he does that. He has done that definitively in a way that's even more than parting the waters of the Jordan. He does that today in Jesus That Jesus is not just God leading his people, but Jesus is God coming to earth to live for you, to die for you, to to rise from the dead for you, so that you can know that God has taken all of your sin upon himself. That is a demonstrable proof that God is for you, that he is with you. When you believe in Jesus, he works for you, in you, and through you to give you assurance that you are in his family and that he is with you, that he will bless you. I was talking to somebody this week who was really fearful about the future, had been given an opportunity to chase a dream, but was afraid, and called for some advice, wanted to know, just wanted somebody to talk to, and I was able to say, I said, you know what? No matter what happens, if you do this, God will be with you. God will be with you no matter what happens. Because if everything goes as you plan and, and God fulfills your wildest dreams, then God has been with you, right? You know that he's been with you and he's blessed you and he's caused your work to prosper. But let's say you try this and it completely fails. Let's say you completely fail and things go poorly and it doesn't work out. Well, even if that were to happen, God is still with you. God is with you. He is teaching you. He's actually strengthening you. The fact that you would step out is going to strengthen you in a way that nothing else could in your life. And God will be with you. And so it doesn't matter if you succeed or you fail. 1 John 4.19 says there's no fear in love and that perfect love casts out fear. And so God wants us to know that, and, and, and I was like, well, how do you know that God is with me if I fail? Well, because Jesus lived and died for you. No matter what happens in life, what Jesus did on the cross, the fact that he rose from the dead is definitive proof that no matter what, God is with you. And that's a love that can cast out our fear. You never have to doubt again. And so God wants to prove that he is with you. 
Well, then, the next paragraph, verses 15 through 17, um, this is teaching us that God's presence does great things. So if you're, if you're still writing, number three, God's presence does great things. Look what it says. It says, as soon as the, those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet were dipped in the brink of the water, the water stopped. Everything is focused in this narrative on the ark. And the Bible says that the ark of the covenant, this was the throne of God. The Bible says this is the place where God reigned. And so, in a sense, the priests were like throne bearers. In a sense, they were like carrying God's presence. And when the presence of God came to the waters, the waters parted. God's presence makes a way through an uncrossable river. Okay? This wasn't something that could be done. If you look at the Jordan River now, actually, if you go to Google Earth, you can look at it. The Jordan River is not actually that big. And so, presumably, it was bigger back then. And not just that it was bigger back then, but it was also overflowing. Right? The text tells us in verse, verse 15, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. And so this was the time of harvest. And scholars have said that the Jordan River was probably about 100 feet wide. And so God doesn't do this in the middle of the summer, right? He doesn't do this in the middle of the summer when the river's at a trickle. No, no, no. He waits for the river to be flooded to show just how powerful he is. To show us that no matter what the barriers are, God can make a way. That his presence makes a way. He has led Israel through the desert from the judgment of the desert into the blessings of the promised land. And it was through the parted waters of the Jordan River. When God is present, amazing things happen. And so for us, we also, we pass from judgment to blessing through Jesus. Right? His death and resurrection brings an end to judgment for us and leads us into the blessings of our salvation. And so then the story keeps going. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and we see here that not only does God's presence do great things, but God wants us to remember. It's the fourth point walking through this story is that God wants us to remember. Okay, God wants us to remember. When he does something, he wants us to remember it. God gives us signs to remember his great acts. And so Israel was supposed to take, look, if you look at verse 3 in chapter 4, they were supposed to take 12 stones okay, from the riverbed and bring them up. And they're supposed to be large stones, okay? We know that because verse 5 says they, they need to be big enough to bring on your shoulder, right? So if you, you know, the stones you have in your hands, you wouldn't carry them on your shoulder, right? You don't need to do that. So um, I actually have a riverbed that runs through my canyon, um, and Ryan and I went down there, um, and we took 12 big stones that we had to carry on our shoulders, and we made a pillar, Right? And so this is what it would have looked like. Twelve stones, large enough to carry, stacked up in a pile. Um, God wants us to remember what he does. Right? He wants us to remember things. And so this was set up and left there on the bank of the Jordan River. I mean, it ended up at Gilgal, which is a little farther away. And then verses 20 to 24, 
God established a permanent memorial. Okay, these 12 stones, verse 20, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he set this up to be a permanent memorial, right? So that people would know what happened. Okay, and he tells us this is for your children. Verse 21, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. And so you can imagine parents bringing their children, you know, at some point in their children's lives, you know, and they come to this place and, you know, it's near the Jordan River and the Jordan is flowing and the kid sees this, st- like, mom, dad, what, what is that? Like, what are those stones? What do those stones mean to you? They say, well, hey, you know what? See this river right here? God stopped this river so that the entire nation of Israel could cross over. You can imagine the kid going, no way. God, God. Well, okay, mom, I, I remember that one time in the summer I came and I was playing with the rocks and I actually got to dam the river up. It was a little trickle, right? Is that what you're talking about? No, 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 son. It was during the time of harvest. It was during the time, it was a hundred feet across. I mean, literally to spark awe, to spark awe so that the children would know what God has done. That's what this was for. It was a permanent memorial so that children could see it, could ask about it, and learn from their parents or from those who are older. It was also for, the, for, for all the nations of the earth. Look at verse 24. It says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Right, so, so that all the people of the earth, so they could know the power of the living God. So they might see what's possible for God to do. Because if God could do this, then what could he do in your life? This memorial becomes an invitation Right? In some ways, it struck terror. If you keep reading the book of Joshua, some of the nations freaked out, and rightly so, because how are we going to fight this? How are we going to fight a God who can do this? But in the gospel, it turns into an invitation to say, you know what? If God did this, what could he do in your life? If you would follow him, if you would trust in him, And then the last thing that I want you to see before we talk about how this directly applies to us, although this will directly apply to us, is in verse 19, because God connected this to the Passover. God connected this event to the Passover. Okay, look at verse 19. It says, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. So this happened on the 10th day of the first month. Um, Whenever I see this kind of phrasing, I like to think, okay, January 10th, um, just because that's how I can connect with it, you know, because 10th day of the first month, right, January 10th. So this is right around their new year. Um, but actually, this, is the, this was actually in springtime, okay? If you, because this was the time of Passover. Exodus 12, verse 3, tells the people of Israel that on this specific day, you are to choose the Passover lamb. 
Okay, this was the day that you were to choose the lamb that was going to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. And so God has them go through this act on this day to mark and to make a connection between what's going on here at the Jordan River and the Passover. Now, when we make this connection, we realize this is directly connected to the Passover. Um, This story becomes not just good news for Israel, but it becomes good news for us. Okay, because the rest of the Bible has a lot to say about the Passover. The rest of the Bible actually says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So the lamb that was sacrificed and the blood that was put on the doorposts so that God would not come in judgment but would pass over and forgive the sins of the people, right? That he would set them free from slavery in Egypt. Jesus does that same thing for us as our Passover lamb, right? Jesus was crucified so that we could be redeemed from slavery to sin, We who struggle with sin, we who are in bondage to sin, Jesus sets us free. He brings us forgiveness. That's his work for us. But then Jesus also sets us free from sin's power, and so we grow. We grow. We become new inside. As we've looked in the past at the teaching of the Bible on how God regenerates our hearts. He gives us a new heart, a new mind. Jesus transforms us as our Passover lamb. And we see this in 1 Peter 2. Look at this. It says, and I like this because it brings in the stones image, both for Jesus, but not just for Jesus. It brings it in for us too. It says, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so I want you to see these things come together. You have the Passover lamb coming together with the cornerstone. Okay, the cornerstone was the stone that was set when you were going to build a building in the ancient world. You would pick out a particular stone that would actually be the bedrock of the foundation for what you were building. Okay, so you'd have to be really careful about how you chose this stone. It had to be just right, the right size, had to be flat, had to be perfect. So, so you set that stone, and then all of the rest of the stones of the foundation are set alongside it and, and, and following the pattern that it sets. And then the foundation, um, once it's laid, then you build a house on top of that. And so what's happening here in this passage is that the New Testament is saying that Jesus is the cornerstone. And then the other stones are being built on top of him. And so what we see here is that we become stones. We become memorials of God's great acts. Your life, your life has been a testimony. If you've been walking with Jesus, your life is a testimony of what God has done. And so these stones that were brought out of the river were signs of what God did in bringing Israel through. Friends, your lives, your lives are testimonies. You are stones that testify to the fact the living God is real. Your lives are testimonies. They're stones testifying to the fact that God is present and he is 
powerful. And so it's really interesting because then as we make these connections, we begin to see different things. The ark of God touches the water. Well, Jesus is the true presence of God on earth, right? And so what's interesting is that when the ark hits the water here, the waters part. But when Jesus, the presence of God on earth, touched the judgment waters of our sin, the waters weren't parted, but he was consumed. And so the river Jordan was parted, but for Jesus, they weren't. For Jesus, he was drowned in God's judgment on the cross so that we could go free. It says in verse 14 that on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. He became this great leader because of this amazing act. Well, what God did to Jesus was the opposite. Jesus had to be humiliated, not exalted. Jesus was brought low on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that he would take our judgment and we would go free. This is why Jesus is our hero. This is why this story, along with every other story that the New Testament, it points to Jesus. It has this spotlight on Jesus. And once you understand that Jesus is our Passover lamb, once you understand that Jesus is the ark of God's presence, once you understand that what happened to Jesus doesn't happen to us, you want to worship. You want to follow him because this is what he's done for you. And that just as God has blessed us through his son Jesus, God will continue in our future to bless us. And so as we transition, as we transition to what this story then means for us as a church today, thinking about who we are today, who we're going to be next week and then beyond, um, we're going to have the band come up and we're actually going to have a time of prayer and contemplation. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the stone that's in your chair, and I want you to take the Sharpie, and I want you to ask yourself a question, okay? I want you to ask yourself a question. What has God done in my life through harbor? I want you to ask yourself, what has God done in my life through this church? Okay? What has God done in my life through harbor? So you can think of a word, you can think of a phrase, maybe a scripture verse that describes it, that just talks about what God has done in your life through our church. Okay? Um, and then, yeah, so then what, you, what I want you to do is I want you to take the Sharpie and I want you to write that on the rock. Okay, again, it could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be a scripture passage, but write it, write it on the rock. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, my, this rock's too small. I get it. Just do your best. Just do your best. It's not, it's, you know, no one's going to judge this or, or judge you for it. Um, but so I also think if you want more than one rock, okay, because I know some of you might have a few things that you might want to write down that God has done in your life through our church. Um, if you want another rock, you can grab one from an empty chair near you, or there's also extra rocks in the aisle. Um, so feel free to write on multiple rocks if you want to do that. Um, these rocks are going to be testimonies of what God has done for you through our church. 
Okay? If you look back in chapter 4, verse 6, it says that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? I want to give every one of you a chance to answer that question. Like, what does our church mean to you? The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion. Okay, we're going to take about five minutes or so, five to seven minutes. And uh, just, again, you can think about it. You can pray about it. You can write. Um, if you feel like you're done, you have extra time. If you want to share what you've written with somebody sitting near you, you can do that. Um, if you're here and you're relatively new, um, if God has done anything in your life through our church, we would love to have you record that on, on a rock. Um, if you're not a Christian and our church has meant something to you, we would love for you to record that on a rock as part of your testimony of what our church has meant. Um, after a time of contemplation and prayer writing, um, we're going to take communion. And what we're going to do is when you come forward for communion, I'm going to ask you to make a pile of these rocks on the communion table. Okay, there'll be room there because the elements will either be in our hands uh, they'll be off the table. And so we'll make a pile. And it's going to be great because on this table, we're going to see this heap of testimonies of what God has done, of what God has done. And so by the time we're done, we're going to have this pile of praise and thanksgiving to our God on the table where he has given us so much. We're giving back to him. So we're going to have a pile here. We're going to do this at Uptown. We're going to have a pile there. Next week, we're going to bring the piles together um, in some ways that I think are going to be really exciting. Um, you're going to have to come back next week to find out what's going to happen with the stones, but I am really excited about what's going to happen with these things. Um, now, I know some of you are already ready to write. Others of you are like, oh, I don't know what to write. So I want to give you a couple of samples. Um, we've actually asked... Some people, or some people have volunteered some of their testimonies. And so I just want to share with you some stuff to, just to get us started, just to maybe inspire you a little bit. <clears throat> so this person wrote um, the word restore. Restore. And then they wrote, God used harbor to restore my faith in the church. So that's a pretty wonderful testimony of what God has done here this person wrote, I like this one, hope when I was burned, leery, and weary. This one's just a single word, community. Community. Then this one's just a single verse, uh, John 1, 5. Uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This was one of my favorites. Um, not just a new church, but a new life. So, yeah, so take, take a few minutes now. Um, take about five minutes or so, and then I will bring us together for communion. <clears throat>